Good morning, everybody. Glad to see everybody together here uh, this morning. I know that the kids are having a, a great time downstairs. And, uh, you know, if you can find a way to um, help us with our children's ministry, just know that your participation would be welcome and, uh, and we can get you plugged in. So uh, this morning we're going to continue our study in John chapter 9. Appreciate what um, uh, John uh, spoke last week. I watched online and uh it, it it wasn't it wasn't half bad I mean, it, no. <laughs> it was all good <laughs> no it's really that's it you can comfort him linda <laughs> uh so no it's really good job great uh tag team on uh the sunday before and then uh uh my uh Devotion life, I follow, I use uh, Charles Stanley's devotion. It's awesome. And uh, to see a couple of the devotions this week that kind of really fit was uh, very encouraging to me. And so I encourage you to do that. Uh, uh, if you're wondering, you know, what kind of devotion to use, you could use Charles Stanley's. It's online. You can read through the Bible in a year. Uh, it, it gets a little... Gets a little tough slogging through, you know, Jeremiah, then Ezekiel. You're like, oh, is there any hope for us at all? And then you come to the New Testament, and there is, you know, or even Jeremiah 31. So I just want to encourage you to nurture your own heart and soul in the Lord and, uh, you know, try, try to begin every day with the word and prayer, and you'll find the rest of your day goes a lot better. So welcome uh, to those that are worshiping with us from home. And um, this morning, like I said, John chapter 9, if you'd find your way there, uh, then we'll uh, begin with a word of prayer this morning. Father, we thank you for this morning, and Lord, I pray, Lord, that, um, that you would speak to our hearts, Lord, that it just not be uh, just an info uh, dump, but Lord, it would be transformational. Your word would transform our hearts in our lives, Lord, and uh, help me, Lord, to get across uh, your heart and the truth that is in your word, the truth that, that transforms us and sanctifies us and brings us more closer to Jesus, Lord, I ask in his name, amen. So we come to John chapter 9. Uh, we've been working through uh, the gospel of John verse by verse. And we, what we have is a, a remarkable story that's a sign uh, that validates and affirms uh, the ministry of Jesus as Messiah. If you looked at verse 32 of John chapter 9, John tells us, never since the world began has someone been healed, given their eyesight. Never before has someone been born blind and then healed. And the sign is out of Isaiah 61.1 that we see Jesus affirm in Luke chapter 4 that he would come and bring sight to the blind, something that's never been done in all of history. Jesus comes and gives this man uh, sight as an affirmation of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and Messiah and what we see is all those promises that flow out, especially in the book of Isaiah, all those promises that flow out of the New Testament, about, I mean the Old Testament about the coming of the Messiah, we see them affirmed 
and, and written down so that we could be encouraged to trust in Jesus Christ. And so as we read through this, it's about, it's about a sign, but it's also about how Jesus chooses to minister to us, his disposition of heart towards you and I, towards people that don't know him. And by implication, what we see is how we can minister to other people in our attitude towards our neighbors that may not know Christ. And so we're going to work through, I know this is it's hard to believe, but we're going to work through this whole chapter. Um, yeah, it hasn't been done yet, so, uh, but uh, we're going to work through this chapter together. It's a narrative, and many portions of it are, are, are humorous. Uh, many portions of it, they, they carry their own weight. They don't need any uh, you know, addition to it. But come with me. Let's read, say, uh, verses 1 through 7. Then we'll unpackage those kind of three things. It's a sign. How does Jesus, what's Jesus' disposition towards people? And by implication, that third point out of verses 1 through 7, uh, what is our, or what should our disposition be towards our neighbors? So starting in verse 1. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And so the disciples had quite a dilemma going on. They were taught, Jesus was a rabbi, they were taught by their rabbis that, that you came into this life, and if you had a deformity or a birth defect, that the prevailing kind of idea was that mm, your father sinned or your mother sinned, or they would even go so far as to say that you must have sinned in the womb. You know, you must have, in a, in a prenatal situation, in a preborn state, you're in your mother's womb, and, you know, something happened there. And because of that, You've sinned, and God's judgment is upon you. And so they were, they were in a pickle of, of, like, how do we work this out? And Jesus comes, and he says, oh, fellas, it's not, it's not that at all. Come back to the text with me. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We'll come back to that. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things... Having said these things, he spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud. Gets better, verse 7. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed, and he came back what? Seeing. What can we say about the heart of God towards people. 
If I were to ask you to summarize Jesus' ministry in one word, you don't have to call out. I know you're, you were quite into the worship this morning, by the way, you know, all this call and response. But if I, if I were to ask you, what is a one word that describes the ministry of Jesus, what would that word be? Some at the first service says, oh, love and compassion. You know, one word that comes to my mind and my heart is grace. Grace that proceeds are, can be called prevenient grace. Because we always see Jesus coming to people and ministering to their need. And in many cases, he ministers to their need with grace that precedes transformation. Have you noticed that? There's always Jesus coming and, and, and disrupting their life and disrupting their world. And that's the case here. Look at verse 1. And he passed by and he saw a man blind from birth. We know he's begging. We know he can't see. And the disciples prompt a question like, why is this man like he is? And Jesus says this, so that you can see the works of God. And what are those works? It's a work of grace. Is that Jesus interrupts this man's life. Take note of it. How does the interruption happen? Does this man clang the coins in his, in his jar or his cup? Does this man cry out, oh, heal me, Jesus? And other parts of the Gospels, we see that. But what does this man do? Does this man exercise faith? Oh, the, the Messiah is here. None of that happens. What you see is Jesus coming and dispensing grace in a helpless and an impossible situation. The theological implications, the foundations that support this text are just simply amazing. The Apostle Paul taps into it in Romans chapter 5. Come there with me. If you don't get anything out of this this morning, just listen for this, the, the next three minutes. I mean, wake up, you know. I, I know you're checking the scores already or what the, you know, the Las Vegas odds are on, you know, Tom Brady and, you know, all of that. Just take a deep breath. Give me three minutes and your life will be changed. Yeah. You say, good luck with that, Conway. <laughs> Romans chapter 5. What is Jesus' disposition to its people that are helpless? What is his heart towards you this morning? Some of you in this room, some of you watching online are just hoping that, oh, maybe if I could, maybe if I could just say the right prayer, Jesus will come to me. Maybe if I, maybe if I do a righteous work, maybe, maybe if I would shock God and show up in church on Sunday. Maybe that would help me. It certainly would help you. What's your disposition towards God? How do you see him? In your heart, how do you think he looks at you? Romans chapter 5, verse 6. For while we were still weak and helpless and with 
without ability, at the right time, at the right time, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have now received what? Reconciliation. Back to the text, John chapter 9. While he was yet a sinner, while he was without hope, grace came. Grace that proceeds and began depositing in his heart a desire and a heart for God. Did Jesus heal another man in such a situation? Helpless. Did Jesus heal another man that didn't exercise any faith? Did he heal him? John chapter 5. The, the man that's at the pool that he's sending this one to. How about that? He was paralyzed, invalid for 38 years, waiting and hoping. He didn't understand the, I, I forget the right word for this. Maybe an engineer knows it. You know when water hydraulics, what do you call that? Yeah, there you go. See, I was, I know what that is. Didn't understand that the pool, we'll get to this, had a tunnel between water outside the city that Hezekiah built this tunnel. That means sent. Hezekiah built a conduit for the water. This man had been an invalid for 38 years. Jesus comes to him. Touches his heart with grace. But this man, as best that we can tell, doesn't act on that grace, doesn't exercise his free will, doesn't exercise his, his the, the, he doesn't take advantage of the invitation of grace to step into Jesus. This man, back to John chapter 9, this man's going to act on it. But the grace that was dispensed in his heart was, first of all, absolutely free. Absolutely deposited. And you know what? That is how God looks at you. In his foreknowledge, Romans 9.28, Romans 8.28, Romans 8.29, I'm sorry, Romans 8.29, in God's foreknowledge, he knew that when this man received grace, he was predestined. Do you know that's how God looks at you? He looks at you as He looks at you as, as someone that when grace touches their heart, they're going to respond. Are you going to respond? Will you respond? Will you stop walking in your own strength? Will you start walking in the power of the grace of God that fuels a passion and a change in your heart? 
or will you continue to strive in the flesh to do something that God has already decided to do in your heart, in your life? We live in a religious culture in our day. It's all about striving. It's all about if I can get there. When I was a little boy, I had a scapula. How many people know what a scapula is? couple old sinners in the place. That's a little kind of badge that you wear. And uh, usually has a picture of a saint on it. And I remember being a little boy going, put my hand there. I said, I'm, I'm okay. I'm good. Because, you know, the belief was that if you wore a scapula and you died, that's your ticket. And as a little boy, I didn't, I didn't want to fall asleep without that ticket in my hand. But you know, Jesus doesn't see you that way. Neither did he see this man. He saw this man as someone that was powerless and needed the grace of God. Is that you? What are the implications of this for ministering to our neighbors? You know the neighbor? I live in a condo now, so they got rules. And I like them. Can't cross that line, can't park there, can't do that, can't do that. They got more rules than you know what to do with. But you know, I used to live in Billy Ricca. I used to have, I had a neighbor that was a drug dealer, heroin dealer. And he made my life a mess for years and years and years. How are you supposed to relate to your neighbor based upon this text. Look at verse 4. We must, we must work the works of God. We must. The disciples. Let me ask you what could be a distressing question. Are we to pray for our neighbors that don't know Jesus Christ for them to be healed? Will Jesus heal them? Yes, to both. That's what the text shows. What they do with that grace, that's, that's their business. That's what the end of the text in verses 39 and 40 and 41 is about. Jesus hasn't condemned anybody. People's behavior, their choice determines outcome. But Jesus' disposition, and I believe our disposition towards our neighbors should be, if you're sick, let me pray for you. If you're hurting, let me come alongside of you. If you need a hand carrying the groceries from your car into the house, which is my world, let me give you a hand. You ever notice the surprise on your neighbor's face? If you live in a condo, it's easy to do this. If you live in your own one-third one of an acre, stay off my lawn, you never see this. If you ever want to see a surprise on your neighbor's face, shovel off their car during a snowstorm. That's what grace looks like in New England. 
Jesus healed this man and another one in five because his disposition towards sinners is to dispense grace which proceeds into their heart that they might respond. What's the response that we see? That's the rest of the chapter. The neighbors were like, wow, is this... Is this the guy? And what does the guy say? It's me. It's crazy. It even gets better. The guy, the, 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 his friends say, oh, we better bring him to the religious leaders. And what do the religious leaders do? Nah, it can't be. It's got to be someone else. And what does the guy say? Guys, it's me. It's Frank. And then the religious leaders the religious leaders absolutely wig out. This can't be true. It's on the Sabbath. <laughs> it's a repeat of five. This can't be true. It's on the Sabbath. You can't do good stuff on God's day. No, you got to be mad. <laughs> it's like, I ain't going to this church. There's too much grace here. <laughs> I want to be yelled at. <laughs> Such a pathetic New Englander. Unless I feel guilty, I haven't been to church. <laughs> and Jesus, Jesus wigs them out. He's like, uh-uh, God's good. We're healing people on the Sabbath. And, 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 and the, 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 the man goes, the man, the man, the man goes, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm kind of summarizing. I said I'd do verse by verse, but I mean, it's just too hilarious. The, the man goes, well, you know, if God's good and the man heals, how can he be bad? <laughs> the Pharisees go, we don't know, but he's still bad. <laughs> and then the man goes to them, well, you know, you must, be, you, you must want to be one of his disciples. And they flip out at that point, and they re, the, I think the ESV says they revile him. A great question to ask when we work through these narratives and it helps us with transformation is who are we in the text? And I can be any one of these people. I want to be like Jesus, but I can be like the disciples a lot of times, just plain confused and asking questions and being perplexed when I even get the answer. I can be like the neighbors, the challenging part is be like the Pharisees. Uh-uh. This didn't happen in, no, no, can't happen. What are, you, what, are you, what are you saying? You got baptized? Who baptized you? Well, my, you know, my, my uncle who's, you know, a deacon in the church. Well, didn't happen in the church. You don't have a church certificate. Rather than rejoicing that someone got baptized. Right? Are you there anywhere? Are you willing to pray for your neighbor to be healed? To be set free? See, when we look at ourselves through the, when we put ourselves in their shoes, I can certainly see myself in their shoes. And the more I can own that, the more I gain access to God's grace, 
the more I can be transformed, the more I can become like Jesus, which is really what it's all about, Romans 8, 29. And his foreknowledge predestined us to be conformed, not to the world, but to who? To Jesus Christ. I'm not quite sure where to pick up this text. Let's pick it up in verse 32. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. That's what this is about. It's Isaiah 61.1. It's Luke chapter 4. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Preaching to the poor. Come there. Come, come to Luke 4. It's worth getting right. Verse 18. Luke 4.18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim what? Good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. And there it is. And recovery of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. Come back to John 9 with me. Since the world began, it has been heard that anyone, that anyone, uh, never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And they answered him, You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, and having found him, he did the same the man in John chapter 5, did he not? And that's what grace looks like. To be found by him. And then to yield your heart to that grace. If you'll yield your heart to that grace, God will forgive you your sins. He will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And he will begin to transform your heart and your life so that you can experience his peace and his joy regardless of what life should offer to you. Take a look at the man. He answered, Jesus heard that they had cast him out and having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Speaking of Daniel 7. And he answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. One other piece of application that we can make in relating to our neighbors when we're sharing our faith with him, with them is that did this, man, did this man start out worshiping Jesus? There was a process and a progression of grace working in his life. Take note of verse 11. The man that was once born blind but now sees, 
answered Jesus and said what? He called Jesus a man. So Jesus is the, the man. He's the one that did it. Then we come to verse 17. And the man said he's what? He's a prophet. He's taken another step. And then he comes to verse 38. And he calls him what? Lord, I believe. When we're ministering to our neighbors who don't know Christ, they're going to be at different points, different parts of their journey. They don't all start out with you saying to them, let me tell you about Jesus. And they say, oh, yeah, I've been waiting for you to come. I mean, that does happen. I remember the first person I led to the Lord. I had been saved for a couple months. It was in Montgomery Ward's uh, auto parts store. Why I, was, why I was in an auto parts store, that's a mystery. So I don't know anything. I was probably there to get a light bulb. How to put it in, that's another thing. But I was so bold back in those days. I, I walked up to the counter. I bought the, the thing that I was there for. And I, and I looked at the clerk and I said, do you know that you can ask Jesus into your heart and he'll forgive you of all your sins and give you eternal life? He goes, really? I said, yeah, and it happened to me. And I described how I came to know the Lord. And I said to him, do you want that? And he goes, yeah, I do. And we went down to the end of the counter and prayed for the guy to accept Christ. But most people in my world, and maybe in your world, it takes a little while for them to get there. Be patient with them. Just as well as God has been patient with you. Be grace-filled towards them. Don't hesitate to pray for their needs. And be a servant to them. Look for opportunities and I, I hate to say it, but it's coming too quickly. Look for opportunities to, especially if you live in a condo project, to scrape the ice off your neighbor's windows in their car. It's a hoot to watch their reaction. Or to do something that benefits your neighbor. And you're going to get an opportunity for that to come even too quickly, which is... She's raking those demon things, leaves. But look for an opportunity to serve. I don't rake leaves anymore. I've been delivered. Nancy says, let's move and get a house. I'm like, get behind me. No. But the story here in Luke chapter 9, it's a simple narrative. But what we see in this narrative is we see grace that proceeds. We see the heart of Jesus towards those that don't know him. And he's dispensing grace to them. And in verse 4, he calls us to do the same thing. And so do that to your neighbors. And Maybe the last thing I'll say this morning before we share the Lord's table is, is step into the grace that God's 
provided in Christ. And stop and cease from trying to get God to like you. He already does. You're already accepted. You're already reconciled because of his grace and the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, his work of propitiation for you. And step into that. And I tell you this, I, I'll tell you with all my heart, if you do that, you will step into some joy that you've never experienced before. And if you happen to be here this morning or listening and you don't know Jesus Christ, thank you for taking a step by being here this morning. Thank you for taking a step of, of listening. And if you're ready to, to, to receive Christ as your Savior, you can do that this morning just by opening your heart to him because he has sent grace to empower you to say yes to him. If you've done that this morning, can you say amen?